So tonight I wanted to talk about the upside of discontent. So there's probably two ways to think about contentedness. One is, um, you know, a state of stagnation, like, hey, hey man, I'm just content, you know, with my life as it is, you know, I'll eat, drink, and be merry, and that's sort of one, <laughs> one type of contentedness. Um, the other type is just, a, it's really a state of grace, it's just, um, we've examined the alternatives and what's left is content with things as they are. There's, there's, a, there's, there's just that one similarity, but there's a world of difference between the two. And that's really what the um, spiritual journey is about, is um, going from where we take life to be just what it appears to be, what we've been told it is, what society thinks it is, what the general consensus agrees that it is. Um, but there's an underlying sense that it's something that's not quite right. You know, there's something missing. There's, 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 I, there's a sense of, you know, being quite suspicious in a way that there, there must be more to this than what meets the eye. And following that um, discontent is, is the journey. It's not being satisfied with things as they are, um, feeling like things as they are, they're, they may be okay, you know, things on a you know, superficial level might be even pretty good, right? You know, life might be going well. So it's not to deny anything on that level, but there can still be a sense of, yes, but there's something still missing. There's something incomplete. Um, there's some level of dissatisfaction, some level of staleness. Um, and that, that feeling, I mean, we can take it as, as a bad thing that we need to try to um, rid ourselves of those kinds of feelings. <laughs> um, or we can use that same energy, that energy of dissatisfaction, discontent, as, um, because it's just energy, right? It's just a, a feeling, an emotion, and to deny its source um, would be to miss the point of it. So it's just really using that energy to, um, I don't know, get us up off the couch, you know, metaphorically or physically, you know, to get us, you know, push us out of our comfort zone, um, to look for something um, deeper, something more meaningful, something to make sense out of life, to, to um, you know, feel like this, this life is um, meaningful, that, 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 that somehow being alive has importance to it. So what most people do with this, this sense of 
um, dissatisfaction or discontentment is um, trying to make the feeling go away, right, as quickly as possible. So there are, you know, drugs of all kinds, you know, some in a glass, some in a pill form um, that can do that, you know, on a, certainly on a temporary basis that can make you um, forget about it or feel better, um, you know, for a short time. You know, and there's also activities that have more or less the same effect, um, maybe without quite the same side effects, but um, can sort of relieve us of that tension for a short time. You know, we can um, eat, you know, it's, it's always an activity that can produce a certain contentment for a period of time. Um, sex works quite well in that regard. Uh, we can see a movie, we can hang out with friends. Um, you know, there's lots of enjoyable things that we can do. Um, we can also, you know, do, you know, engage just in mental activities, you know, just sit around and recall some pleasurable time from the past, reminisce with ourselves or with friends, you know, and hope that that will create a, a sense of okayness for a short period of time. Or we can dream about how the future may unfold um, in ways that will be pleasurable. So all of these things, nothing wrong with enjoying life and, um, um, you know, there's no benefit in, in trying to avoid activities that we enjoy, but it, it's important to make a distinction between, you know, what we're enjoying for just the sheer enjoyment of it and what we're doing with the underlying um, neediness of uh, just trying to distract us, distract us from any sense of discontent, right? <laughs> you know, boredom. Boredom's a good one. You know, so we engage in activities that we can forget about it for a while. We can also use meditation in the same way, right? If we're using it more or less as a drug to put us back together, to make us feel okay, to get us through the next day, to sort of calm our nerves um, and, uh, you know, get us back to, you know, feeling normal or centered, that, that's fine, um, but... Uh, if we're doing that also simply to avoid um, some deeper feelings that we're not quite ready to look at, then, then we're engaged in the same kind of avoiding activity. I mean, in a more healthy way, sure. You know, it's better than the pill form of it, but, um, you know, if we're doing it purely, um, you know, for the purpose of sort of, you know, keeping us, um, keeping our head above water. Um, you know, it, it's okay, it's good, it's better than, better than nothing. But um, we're, we're sort of missing the deeper point there that, um, that, uh, that the discontent offers us by pointing to something um, that can be looked at. Some, something that we're holding, some belief, some attitude, um, some unforgiveness, some judgment, 
some tendency that we're holding on to that we're not quite ready to look at. And so the way to manage that for most people is just to keep up that level of distraction from one thing to the next um, so that we don't have to think about it, right? So it's sort of like treading water, you know, you can keep your head above water doing that. Um, but the, the thing is, you, you can't stop. You can't stop treading water. You know, if you stop treading water, you, you drown. So you have to keep up that level of, you know, activity and distraction in order not to think about um, those things that um, may be causing a bit of concern, you know, in those, you know, darker corners of our mind. <laughs> So, but this would be like, um, you know, sort of like taking an aspirin to um, solve the headache. I mean, when we need to do that, we need to do that. That's fine. But if if we, the deeper question is what, what was causing the headache in the first place? It wasn't the absence of aspirin, right? There's some, some you know, deeper, you know, in this case, you know, physiological issue, some kind of imbalance perhaps. That, that's what needs to be looked at. The aspirin might be a stopgap measure, fine. But the, the deeper issue is what, what's the underlying cause, you know, if it's a repetitive event. You know, it's also similar to, um, you know, the warning gauge on your car, you know, that says you're out of oil. I mean, one way to deal with it is just to unplug the gauge and then it, it, the problem solved, right? But you haven't, we haven't really dealt with the underlying issue. Um, you know, we've just sort of postponed it. <laughs> In the case of the car, you know, we'll, we'll pay for it later. Um, so this, this discontent is what pushes us forward, if we're willing to use it, if we're willing to see it as our friend <laughs> rather than our enemy, that uh, one of the ways it's referred to in this regard is divine discontent. You know, a gift, a gift from the divine for our benefit, this discontent, this energy that um, is uncomfortable, right? We don't, we don't necessarily, necessarily like it. You know, it's, it's pushing us, it's nudging us past where we may be comfortable. You know, but this is, this is the purpose of it. I mean, this is the benefit of it if, we're, if we allow it to be uh, used in that way. It's just, it's using the energy um, that may feel uncomfortable, but it's using that energy for our long-term benefit. You know, when we first um, get into spirituality, we think, oh, you know, peace and joy and bliss and love, you know, it'll be great. And um, sometimes we can be a little bit shocked when um, there might be, you know, some period of that, you know, we'll, we'll drag that phase out as long as we possibly can. But at some point, um, we may be called to look at things in a deeper way. And when that begins to be called for, um, we, can, we can wonder what happened, 
you know, suddenly everything was going so well. I felt so good. And now, um, you know, I, I may feel more self-conscious than I used to. Not self-conscious in a good way, self-conscious in a sort of awkward way. You know, self-conscious in a way that we become more aware of our pettiness and inauthenticity and occasional rudeness and judgmentalism and those kind of things. Right? So we, we may become more aware of those things. So suddenly there's more discomfort. Um, you know, we, we were hoping for more joy and here we, we are, you know, being pulled through is um, this sort of level of muck, right? We didn't sign up for that. So we can take that the wrong way. We can take it as, oh, something's gone terribly wrong here. You know, um, you know I've really gone astray or, um, you know, we might even try to um, hide it from ourselves or from other people. Like, you know, I'm not really going through this. I'm really too spiritual for it. I'm too advanced to really um, have to be dealing with any of this shadow work. Not necessarily, right? It unfolds the way it unfolds. And if something is is coming up for us, and not as a one-off event, but as, as a something that you know repeatedly sort of comes to the fore, then we need to look at it. And this is this is where uh, self-honesty comes in. Right? This is this is where our willingness to see is more important than our desire for comfort. If we always opt for comfort, we'll never get far, very far down this road. You know, this isn't to say that, you know, beautiful, you know, exhilarating, wonderfully revelatory times aren't had along the journey, but um, it's also important to acknowledge that um, there can also be very difficult times and they're not opposed to the journey. They're actually essential to the journey, essential that we be willing to see them clearly, right? So by seeing them clearly, I simply mean being willing to observe them, sort of almost like a good scientist, you know. Um, you know, look at them as objectively as we can without thinking that we know the answer already, you know, without prejudging anything or without, you know, trying to get to the right answer. Not trying to shortcut the process, but really, looking directly for ourselves, you know, without self-judgment. That's really important. You know, if we're, if, we're, if we're trying to be the observer and then trying to be the judge at the same time, we, we can't do both. 
to allow whatever is uh, whatever experience or situation is up for us uh, to allow that to be seen clearly. We can't be judging ourselves at the same time. We need to just see it as it is, living color, you know, as, as it is. You know, and this takes, um, like I said, some self-honesty. It takes some courage, right? It takes some willingness, it takes some sincerity. You know, these, these values are um, critical. <laughs> they really are. You know, they may seem sort of mundane and often spoke to, spoken about, but they, they really are critical in this process. So it's, it's really using this uh, discontent rather than just trying to make it go away however we can. It's recognizing that the discontent is pointing out something that we're not seeing quite clearly. You know, another, another word for discontent is really suffering, right? Suffering in the sense of um, we're not happy with how things are at the moment, right? So as I've talked about before, we can draw a distinction between pain and suffering, right? Pain can be physical, it can be emotional, it can be grief. And very often it's unavoidable. It's just as it is, just the sheer physicality of it, the sheer energy of it. And then there's what we tell ourselves about the pain. That's where the suffering part comes in. You know, if we're telling ourselves that it shouldn't happen, or it's not right, or why is this happening to me, or it's not fair, or life isn't fair, somebody shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. All these things that we tell ourselves about the raw fact of the pain causes suffering. Right? So suffering, suffering is always a pointer. It, it's good to presume that suffering is always a pointer. For one reason it's true. Right? And for the other reason, it, if we presume that, then we are willing to look at the underlying causes. If we, if we presume that, you know, what's making me suffer is wrong, it shouldn't happen, then um, we're just arguing with the fact of it. You know, we're, we haven't scratched the surface yet. We haven't really delved beneath the surface enough to see what it is that I'm believing that's causing this argument with life, right? So this 
kind of um, self-inquiry that we're talking about um, may take some time, right? It's, it's a, in a sense, it's self-disassembly, right? Disassembling things that we thought we were, that we thought were true about ourselves. Um, so it's not, it's not an easy process. It's a bit like self-surgery, you know. It can, it can sound okay when we're just talking about it conceptually, like, yeah, it'd be nice to unload some of, some of my false beliefs and my conditioning that, you know, that, that would be good. But when the reality of it actually is in our face, has a whole different feel about it. It feels um, very real and it feels very personal. And that's when it becomes especially important to be willing to uh, go through this period of um, self-examination. You know, so we have this you know, longing for the divine, however we might phrase that, longing for unity, longing for peace, joy, love, happiness. We have that underlying sense of longing for something that we feel is not already present. But then we also have this, this sense of discontent that's sort of pushing us from the other side, you know, like I'm not content with things as they are. You know, I, I, I'm willing to look deeper. I'm willing to um, sort of put myself up on the operating table and, and uh, really see what's going on there. Um, so in, in a sense, it's a bit like um, the carrot and the stick. The carrot is our longing, our spiritual aspirations. And then the discontent is more like the stick. It's something pushing us from behind to keep us moving further. Because right? there's always a tendency to think of, um, yeah, I've... I've done a lot of work on myself, you know, it's, I'm sure it's time to take a rest, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty well there. But when we, when we really are willing to sense this discontent for ourselves, what that feels like, um, there's always this movement of, mm, there's something more to see. There's more questions. There's more doubts to dispel. More places to explore, more shadow work to be done. You know, so this is this impetus pushing us further. So if we if we view the discontent in that way, we can see that it's a good thing, right? May not be comfortable, may not even be that much fun, but if we can really sense into the worthiness of that um, energetic movement, we can appreciate it and work with it and use that as 
um, as the tool that it is. So this, um, you know, it seems sort of paradoxical. You know, we're talking about making effort, maybe making a considerable amount of effort over some period of time to reach an effortless state. You know, it, it sounds to our normal human conceptual way of thinking about things, it doesn't sound like that should work that way. We should, should all be able to just go directly towards contentment, you know, just see that discontent is um, not what we want and just go for contentment. Right? We, we think that should work. But perhaps we can see that, you know, trying to be content contradicts itself, right? Contentment is being um, being okay with things exactly as they are. So if we're trying to be content, it only means that we're not okay with things as they are. Um, therefore, you know, we, to try to be content um, doesn't work. It's also not possible to try to be what we already are, because any level of trying on that level is a denial of what we already are. So if, if our essential being, that which already is, is already at peace, is already content, trying to be content is a denial of that. We deny that and we can look forever, everywhere else, and we won't find it. So it's actually much, much more valuable to see all of the ways that we create our own discontentment. That's what, what it's good for, right? So when those, that sense of suffering or not all rightness or discontent or restlessness or boredom or any of those states that we um, classify as negative states arises, um, we can, rather than just trying to dismiss them, we can take them as opportunities to look deeper. So it's not like we have to seek out suffering. You know, life does a perfectly adequate job of that. You know, so we don't have to manufacture it, conjure it up, conjure up a, an issue to try to solve it. We don't have to kind of take it to that extreme. That's been tried. You know, some religious cultures have taken um, suffering to be a competitive sport, you know, trying to um, out, you know, the monks all trying to, you know, punish themselves more than all the other monks, right? So there's a certain level of egoism in that, right? I am the most long-suffering monk here. Ego, through and through. So that doesn't work. That's not what we're talking about. Um, what we're talking about is when those times of discomfort 
suffering, restlessness, boredom, etc., arise, they're pointers, um, and we can use those as opportunities to look more deeply at our beliefs that may be causing those. Right? Like, what, what am I believing in this moment that um, life is is failing to deliver? You know, what is what is what am I believing right now that um, is absent that should be present? You know, what am I believing that um, things should be other than exactly as they are in this moment? Those kind of questions. So it's, this is also isn't, um, what we're talking about isn't, you know, higher self-judging, you know, you know, a lower, more juvenile self, you know, where the higher self believes that it's the only adult in the room. Now we're not talking about that because that's just all mental activity, you know, with one thought trying to um, blame, you know, some some other memory or other thought you know that again it's just mental activity you know one thought trying to scold you know some other part of our past or whatever all all mental activity so we're not talking about that at all we're talking about the beliefs that hold um uh that hold this dissatisfaction in place what those beliefs are. So it's a belief like, um, you know, what is causing me not to see, um, I don't know, the perfection of this moment, the unity of all things, those, those kind of questions. Um, and if it, that's a much more useful approach than saying, you know, when when am I going to be able to, you know, um, have the experience of unity? You know, come on, life. You know, I'm I'm impatient here. I want to see it. You know, it's much more valuable to look at what what am I believing that's causing me not to see the unity of all things in this moment? Right. The problem is with, you know. <laughs> the oneness of all, um, you know, playing coy. That's not the problem. It's the degree to which we are convincing ourselves that we're separate, unworthy, flawed, damaged, slow. It's just our ability to convince ourselves of things that aren't actually fundamentally true. It's a denial of that which we actually are. <laughs> so this, this process is, um, like I say, it can go on um, for some time, you know, maybe a long time. It will take as much time as it takes. It, it will go more quickly if we um, 
are sincere, if we're curious, if we bring some energy to it, um, if we bring a certain level of devotion to it, as in committing a certain amount of time uh, to that exploration, you know, a certain level of um, you know, real investigation, it can go quite quickly. If we um, you know, are hesitant to look, <laughs> You know, places that we don't really want to look at. If we're, um, if we relinquish, um, you know, give ourselves uh, into the fear. If we're, you know, affected by fear to the extent that we just don't go there. Um, if we believe we know where the path leads, um, these kinds of. Uh, impositions on the process will prolong it. I mean, the good news is you're already that. So there's, you know, we're just talking about process here. We're not talking about fundamental reality. But, you know, we can accelerate or we can prolong that process. Um, and that's up to us. We can't, we can't prolong it forever. That's the good news. Can't prolong it forever because, um, you are already that, and we can't avoid seeing that forever. Maybe for a long time, but not forever. So ultimately, there's no, no worries here, but um, life is also much more enjoyable when we can see what is actually living this life um, that is um, free of the beliefs that are causing us to suffer, causing us this discontent. And the primary belief is that things should be other than as they are. That one belief is sufficient. sufficient to pro postpone our enlightenment and sufficient to maintain this level of discontent. So the, the point of this discontent isn't, um, isn't a lifelong process. This is, this is a um, process with a, hopefully a limited shelf life. And it, it has a certain duration that may be necessary, it may be necessary and almost always is necessary to make um, considerable effort before that effortless state is realized. But there is, there is an inflection point in there where we can question, inquire, search, um, you know, really, really look. And there is a point um, where that's no longer needed or beneficial, that inflection point. And um, that point, if, 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 we, if we try to um, bypass the effortful working with discontent phase, um, it would be too soon. 
Right? We'd be trying to bypass things that we needed to see. But if we wait too long, you know, and hang on to the process, giving our mind over to allowing it to raise questions in order to answer questions, uh, you know, allow doubt to create, you know, reason to doubt what we may have already experienced. Then at some point, um, perhaps we get wise to um, this tendency of mind to try to perpetuate its control, right? You know, it's like allowing the mind to say, yes, but, you know, have you thought of this? Here's one more question, you know, did you really experience what you really experienced? How do you know that's true? You know, those kind of questions. Um, so it's, it's really um, being willing to admit what we don't know and um, being willing to live by what we do know, not denying that. Um, so there's a point where it's not that our questions all get answered, but our, the, the questioner um, no longer has the capacity to um, create questions that we can really believe in. It's the questioner that gets um, diminished, gets undermined. So it's not that all the questions get answered, it's the, it's the questioner gets undone. And so we're left with no more questions at some point. Or what questions come up just aren't that believable, just aren't that compelling. We can see it, no, it's sort of like the last question. You know, it's not really a new question, not really a, a really compelling question. We can begin to see that the mind is just trying to perpetuate um, its control over what we, what we believe. Right? So we, at some point we see that and we just, we just sort of gently remove that authority from the thinking mind. And the thinking mind may go on trying to um, entice us into thinking about the next thing, the next question, the next doubt. But at some point we see, well, that's not actually, I'm not gonna fall for that again. So it's not that we've answered all the questions or you know, fully satisfied all those doubts. It's just that we can no longer believe, um, believe our beliefs. <laughs> believe, the, believe that thinking mind um, it's questions that it can generate to keep us in, engaged, to keep us grateful for its role as our, um, as our manager. Yeah. Now, sort of like Britney Spears, you know, has this, or had this conservator to sort of manage her affairs. That's, that's the, the role that we give the mind. Okay, just bringing in a little social context there. Um, 
So in this, in this process, um, it, it's really important to, to trust the process. We may not have any idea where the process is going. Um, and that's okay. We don't need to know. It may actually be more helpful not to think that we know how this is all going to unfold um, because it will unfold in a way that's um, unique for each of us. So even if we know well somebody else's story as it may be described, it's not actually might be inspiring, but it's not like a practical guide because the way it will unfold for all of us will be unique. And so, and not only unique, but life knows how, how this will unfold much better than we do. I mean, like infinitely better than we do. And, um, you know, we can ask, well, you know, how, how do I know if the right experience, how do, how do I know that life is presenting me with the right experiences to take me further along the path? How do I, how do I know life is doing that? Um, and the answer is there, there's an easy way to know. It's just however life is presenting itself in that moment is, is the way, is the pointer. Life at every moment is pointing to something deeper. And we can just look at that as on a superficial level, or we can see that um, there's always, life is always sort of nudging us further if we allow it to do that, if we take that for um, the gift that it is. So using this discontent, when it arises, we don't have to manufacture it, but when it arises, um, to just use it as an opportunity to see what that underlying belief is. There's something to be revealed there. And um, that process, like I say, will take as long as it takes. And at some point, um, we need to be sensitive to what I've called this inflection point where, you know, we've got our, you know, before that we have our, our foot on the gas. And then after that, we take our foot off the gas hands off the wheel, and let it happen. Now, there's a um, common metaphor in, in um, Buddhist literature about, um, you know, if, if when you come up to the, to cross the river to get to the other side, um, you know, a boat is really handy and you use the boat to get to the other shore. But when you get to the other shore, you can stop carrying the boat. You don't need to put the boat on your head and keep going. The boat has served its purpose. It's gotten you to the other shore, right? So that's the purpose of this discontent is to take us to um, the other shore when we can, um, we no longer need that tool and what remains is contentment. Things will still be 
revealed, but it's not out of a sense of discontent. It's out of a sense of things are as they are and um, actually couldn't be anything other than that. And so there's a contentment. Things still will be revealed, but the tool that this discontentment can serve for a while um, is, is not a forever thing. Right, so we can be grateful when that tool is needed. You know, we have the boat to cross the river. We're on the other side. We, we can be grateful for the boat, but we don't need to keep carrying it. Right? Um, and we can go on. Right? And the contentment is what's left when all our arguments are dropped, right? when all our hopes are dashed, when all our expectations have been crushed, and we're left with just life as it is, without our manipulation. And that, that is freedom. That is being relieved of our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our wants, our desires, our demands. Being freed from that and what's left is life as it shows up. And we can be here to simply enjoy that, participate in that, be amazed by it. Contentment is what's left when all of our arguments are against life, about other people, about ourselves, are seen as illusory. And what's left is peace, is contentment, is joy. Because it's what we are. <laughs> 